You're listening to the Health Call Radio Hour, where doctors, researchers, authors, nutritionists, and top health professionals share the latest news about staying well and living better. The information you hear today is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, but it's always timely, credible, interesting, and best of all, there's never a copay. Now, here's your host, health and wellness correspondent, Lee Kelso. It is great to have you here. Thanks for taking the time to tune in and learn about a new study published in the Journal of Alzheimer's Disease. It claims common vaccinations for everyday adulthood conditions may actually be helping protect you, not just from the flu or shingles, but also Alzheimer's. Look, I know many people are worried about vaccines these days, and you may be thinking about skipping the flu shot this time around. So I contacted the senior author of this paper, Dr. Paul Schultz, professor of neurology and the director of Neurocognitive Disorders Center at UT Health in Houston. He sees a clear connection between vaccines that help rev up our immune system to fight disease and how they protect the brain. So let's begin with the most important question here. How much protection can I get from these common vaccinations? Yeah, for each one, it's slightly different. But yeah, somewhere between 20 and 40 percent, depending on the vaccine and how many times you've been vaccinated. That's significant. So is that additive? So if I have all of them, do I have a greater degree of protection or just one will confer that amount? So we did them one at a time to see if there was an effect. And to be honest, I was thinking we weren't going to find anything or we were going to find the opposite. So we did one at a time. And now we're at the point where we're going to look at to see whether two vaccines are better than one. But we do know that for each vaccine, the more times you get it, the more protected you are. Oh, okay, that's great. So does this indicate that I should have, is there an annual schedule for this? Is it every three years, five years? How do I talk to my doctor about the reason I want an updated tetanus shot, for example? Right. Right. Yeah. Tetanus, of course, is like every 10 years. Uh, so honestly, it's kind of surprising we found an effect because it's so far in between the in- injections. With the influenza virus, people typically get the flu vaccine around this time of year every year. And we were able to show that three years in a row reduced the risk of Alzheimer's about 20 percent. Six years in a row reduced it about 40 percent over the next eight years. Now, we don't know if it's forever because we don't haven't followed people forever, but at least for eight years, it's a very significant reduction in the risk of getting Alzheimer's. Yeah, sure. So the, the latest of these vaccines to have come out is the shingles vaccine. I think the Shingrix series is probably the newest among these. What impact yes. does it have? So all, all four of them that we've talked about have two really big effects. One is we don't get that disease. Mm-hmm. And the other is something on Alzheimer's. Uh, It turns out that in Alzheimer's, in the brain, there's a lot of inflammation going on. It's as though there's a fight going on up there between the immune system and the amyloid plaques that you've probably heard about. And uh, anything that raises inflammation in our body is not very good for my patients with Alzheimer's. So when they get the flu, when they get a urinary tract infection, break a bone, the inflammation elsewhere in the body affects the brain. So the first point is that by avoiding getting the flu and the shingles and so forth, we're avoiding the inflammation that often accelerates the amyloid pathology. 
And then the second thing is separate from that when we control for the number of times people actually got the illnesses to the best that we can, it still appears that the vaccine has a different effect on reducing the risk of Alzheimer's, perhaps through another immune mechanism. Oh, so it's doing something to the immune system to help fight back against those the amyloid plaque and the tau protein tangle? Exactly. Around those plaques, by the way, uh, Lee, there are inflammatory cells in every plaque that you look at in the brain. If someone has a biopsy or passes away and you look, uh, mm-hmm. you see the amyloid plaques everywhere and around them, you'll see these inflammatory cells. In fact, we think that those inflammatory cells are why brain cells actually eventually don't work and why they may actually die. And that is because the inflammatory cells job is to say, well, there's a bacteria that came into my brain or a virus or whatever, and they attack it and they release a bunch of poisons to kill it and then eat it. And if you lose a few brain cells in the process, it's worth it because we're still alive and the majority of our brain still works. But in this case, the amyloid plaques accumulate in the brain for 10 to 20 years before the first symptom of Alzheimer's. That means that at some point during those 20 years, the immune system starts to recognize the plaques as foreign and starts to attack them. And it does what it's supposed to do. It releases a lot of poisons to get rid of the of this foreign substance, which it can't get rid of because it's not a bacteria you can eat. It's a plaque that's very large compared to the cells and very inert, very chemically sticky. You can't break it apart easily. And so for 10 to 20 years, they're releasing poisons. And if you look around the plaques, you'll see that all the brain cells around it have disappeared. And we think it's because the immune system is accidentally killing a few to get rid of a bacteria. In this case, it's killing thousands accidentally over 20 years uh, to try to get rid of the plaque. So as you can imagine, then, anything that affects the immune system could have a big impact on the risk of getting Alzheimer's and on how fast it progresses and so forth. So that's kind of like collateral damage from a hand grenade. You're, you're, you're hitting lots of things besides the target. Right. right. I, I don't like to be violent, but yes, hand grenade would be a, a good analogy. Yes, it's supposed to get one uh, thing out there, person, whatever, and it, could, it can do a lot of other things. That's exactly right. Yeah. Good analogy. <laughs> so uh, we are talking here about neuroinflammation. And I keep hearing that phrase over and over again in relation to Alzheimer's and other conditions as well. Is there anything I can do from a lifestyle standpoint in addition to the vaccines, which, of course, are just a good idea because who wants shingles, right? Um, Oh, yeah. No, there's a lot of things you can do. Yeah, we think that, um, you know, different studies have shown between a 20 and an 80 percent reduction in Alzheimer's with lifestyle changes alone. And so most most of us in the field say, well, 50% is the average, and that's a pretty good guess. Uh, Yeah, it turns out that uh, physical exercise, mental exercise, lowering your cholesterol, lowering your triglycerides, that's the fat in your blood, lowering your blood pressure, lowering your sugar, and a whole host of things like that have a significant reduction on it. It's kind of interesting, actually, uh, if you look at like the short-term memory area of the brain, which is really uh, sensitive to Alzheimer's, it'll actually be larger in the animal models where the animal exercises more than, than its, uh, its litter mates, so to speak. Uh, so yeah, there's a direct effect on, on the brain areas involved in Alzheimer's. And we think that those kinds of things 
go on in terms of preventing it. The one question I think you're kind of asking, which I don't think we know the answer to yet, is there's a lot of foods that we talk about as being uh, anti-inflammatory. And it's been tough to show that they directly affect the risk of Alzheimer's, but indirectly they certainly do. We know that how you eat depends on, uh, affects your cholesterol and your blood sugar and all the things I mentioned that are risk factors. So diet is certainly one of the important lifestyle factors. Yeah, so not to, you know, pick anybody out, but too many burgers at such and such a place with a milkshake and fries, probably not a good lifestyle decision to prevent Alzheimer's, probably goes the opposite direction. Got to tell you, I was happy to hear yet another Alzheimer's researcher tell me lifestyle makes a difference. There's something called the mind diet that may be worth a look. It includes foods rich in certain vitamins, carotenoids and flavonoids that are believed to protect the brain by reducing oxidative stress and inflammation. Researchers found a 53% lower rate of Alzheimer's in those who closely followed the mind diet. And even moderate users showed a 35% reduction. You can head over to the Health Call website for a link to the Harvard School of Public Health review and explanation of this mind diet. All right, when we come back more with Dr. Paul Schultz and his experience with a whole new family of medications just approved to fight Alzheimer's specifically. We're back with more of the Health Call Radio Hour. I hope you can stay tuned. You're listening to the Health Call Radio Hour, your regular weekend appointment with top healthcare professionals, where every session is painless and we never keep you waiting. Now back to health and wellness correspondent, Lee Kelso. Welcome back. We are learning about new research that says being vaccinated against the flu, shingles, pneumonia, and tetanus all have a benefit you probably didn't expect. It reduces the risk of Alzheimer's by up to 40 Dr. Paul Schultz from UT Health in Houston was surprised these common vaccines make such a big difference in preventing Alzheimer's. But what has him most excited these days are all the new drugs just approved for people diagnosed with Alzheimer's because they slow how fast this disease degrades your mind. Oh my God, Lee, this is a, such an exciting time to be in Alzheimer's. I mean, honestly, for decades when I would see someone and diagnose them, it was it was sad for them, it was sad for me. We did studies for years, but I got a lot of gray hair because none of them were positive. No, these these antibodies now are having a genuine effect that I, it's obvious when you give it to people. It doesn't cure it yet. Uh, you know, between a third and 60% slowing depending on the antibody and the stage they're at. It is ironic too, because we just spent 10 minutes talking about inflammation being bad for Alzheimer's we are actually causing inflammation in the brain. We're giving antibodies that attach to a plaque and then the white blood cells come in and there's inflammation. And it could have gone, could have gone the other way because we just talked about how inflammation can really accelerate things. But in this case, the unique feature is that by having an antibody attached to the plaque, the white blood cells see that. And whenever they see an antibody attached to something, they literally rip it apart. And so after six to 12 months or 18 months, depending on the drug and all, we can remove all of the visible plaques from the brain. I mean, this is an incredible deal because these plaques are inert, they're sticky, they're large. There's all kinds of reasons why this shouldn't have worked. 
but thank goodness, uh, it literally will do an amyloid PET scan on someone, see, you know, millions of plaques in the brain, put them on the treatment, and by six months uh, with different drugs, about 30 to 40% will have a negative scan, like six treatments, and suddenly the scan is negative. And then by a year and 18 months, another 30 to 60% will have a negative scan. And that has an effect then on the clinical course of things. Of course, if we got rid of them and didn't affect, affect people clinically, they, it wouldn't be any good. But sure enough, people progress more slowly. Uh, so very exciting. And I think the most exciting part about it, Lee, is that we're now doing the same kinds of studies in people before they have symptoms. One of our hypotheses in the field, not just me, is that the reason that we slow things but don't stop it yet in people with early Alzheimer's is the disease has been going on for 10 to 20 years before we see them. Yeah. And so what we're doing is, pardon me, working backwards and saying, hey, what if we start five years before the first symptom and remove the amyloid then? Maybe the downstream effects would be turned off also, and maybe we'd be more successful. Fascinating. The, the challenge I see here is one of cost, right? I mean, the, the PET scans and identifying people early, we, the economics just don't play out to allow us to do that at scale yet. It's tough. You know, I, I broke a spoke on my bike and needed a new tire this weekend. And I said, the guy said, I've got a new uh, rim and all. And I said, is it going to cost me an arm and a leg? He said, no, only an arm. I said, okay, that's a good price. It's very similar here. You're, <laughs> you're absolutely right. It's an arm and a leg, uh, but then when you hear it's only an arm, it's not so bad. Uh, no, it's very expensive. Uh, yeah. I wish it was cheap. Uh, I hope to God we can give it to everybody eventually who needs it. There's probably one and a half million plus or minus Americans who are in the early stages of Alzheimer's who could benefit from these drugs. And whether or not we've got the ability to give it to that many people, I don't know. I hope to God we do. I hope there's some meeting of the minds between the pharmaceutical companies that make them and us that need them and, and us that see patients in clinic every day that need them, you know, and, and who knows how this is going to happen. But I, I just hope that we can give it to everybody because it really makes a big difference, huge impact on quality of life of our patients, huge impact on their, their loved ones. Can you imagine how hard it is to watch your loved one slowly change and eventually forget who you are and all that kind of stuff. Uh, doctor, I mean, we're, we're going through that heart. right now. Yeah, we're going through that right now with my mother-in-law. We saw it with my father-in-law. So this is something that I understand quite well. Let's bring this back around to where we started uh, and talk about those common vaccines. Um, in case somebody joined us late, I'm going to recap just for a second there. So your recommendation is to have a flu vaccine every year as is the case. I mean, that's kind of the general recommendation anyway. Yes. And, and then how often can I have a Shingrix vaccine? Well, the Shingrix is usually just a two-shot deal. I mean, it's quite effective. I, again, the surprising thing is the two, the two shots caused enough of a change that we could detect it in looking at a large population. Thank goodness. I, I don't think there's any recommendation to get more than two, you know, from, uh, from the people who specialize in those vaccines. But even those two reduce the risk 20 or 30 percent. And the same with the Tdap, the tetanus one, and the same with the pneumococcus, which is against the bacteria, of course. And of course, with the influenza, by getting six of them annually, no more than recommended, but no less either, uh, about a 40 percent reduction. We don't know if uh, six or 10 vaccines is going to do even more. 
but at least at this time, we got a, a good rationale for studying the vaccination effects on the risk of Alzheimer's further. In fact, now we're looking in, in the animal model. We can give animals, we can give mice Alzheimer's disease, and we can control a lot of factors on them. So we can vaccinate them and study how this occurs and so forth, and maybe maybe do a, an easier way of, of putting it into effect, so to speak. And the nice thing about the mice is they don't complain about the chow. They don't want to go out for a steak and introduce all kinds of variables. When we study humans, there's all kinds of, we all do things differently. The mice never complain. They all get on their wheel and run every day and they eat the same stuff and everybody in the room eats the same stuff. So we can yeah. get rid of a lot of variables to figure out what's going on here. <laughs> and, you know, there aren't many uh, mouse lawyers out there to come back and sue you later. So that, that works in their favor too, right? Um, so, you know, I, I love to ask True docs enough. like you guys, guys who study this, um, tell me about your life. How do you live? What habits have you adopted based on everything you've learned and all your research and everything you've seen? Oh, my God, that's a really good question. No one's ever asked me that before. Yeah, I, I jogged uh, six miles this morning, and uh, I do that a few days a week with friends, so it's fun. But yeah, the idea of exercise physically, as I mentioned, I follow that. My wife and I uh, try as hard as we can to, to eat properly, uh, low fat, low cholesterol, all that kind of stuff. But yeah. start with the basics here that everybody can modify. Have you seen a supplement or anything else that has a measurable impact that auto makes it meaningful enough that it needs to be on my radar screen? That's a toughie. You know, the challenge is that it's tough to study them and the finances aren't out there for it. So the honest truth, every day people come in and say, well, I heard about turmeric. I heard about this. The honest truth is I don't know one way or the other if they're helpful. I'm not going to get a grant to study turmeric you know, from NIH. Right. And so we'll never know if it works or not. So I tell people, as long as it doesn't cause any problems with the other meds we give you, you know, uh, I come from a whole family of people who have beliefs about supplements and all that. And so go for it. But I can't tell you for sure if they'll help, if they're helping or not. Again, that is Dr. Paul Schultz, the director of the Neurocognitive Disorders Center at UT Health in Houston. In an extended video version out on the HealthCall website, you'll hear about new attempts to find a vaccine that would prevent Alzheimer's. The FDA has given fast-track authorization for one team's research into a shot, teaching our immune systems how to attack proteins linked to Alzheimer's without causing dangerous levels of inflammation. They have to thread a needle, teaching the immune system to launch a Goldilocks-style attack. It has to be strong enough to stop these problematic proteins, but not so much that it will cause inflammation resulting in brain damage. That big breakthrough, well, it's probably gonna come too late for millions of us. In the meantime, all of us baby boomers aging into the high-risk Alzheimer's years, we focus on diet exercise, and social contacts that give purpose to our lives, they seem to be the best medicine. You'll find that extended video version of this interview at the Health Call website, healthcall.live. And while you're there, why not drop me a note? I read everyone and you'll always get a personal reply. All right, I don't know what you've got going on keeping you busy today, but I hope you can take us along for another half hour or so because we're only halfway through today's Health Call Radio Hour. Thank you.
podcast by Federated Media.